Welcome to the Wright Family Law Divorce Podcast with your host, Ellen Wright, family law attorney, divorce coach, entrepreneur, and motivational speaker, discussing all things divorce and helping you learn to keep the pain of separation from holding you back. And now, your host, Ellen Wright. Welcome to episode four of the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast. Today, I have with me Alethea Shaddix, who's a domestic relations attorney here at the Right Family Law Group, but she's also a bankruptcy lawyer who assists our sister law firm, Express Bankruptcy Solutions, in processing bankruptcy petitions for individuals and families who are in financial crisis. And we're going to be talking about the intersection of bankruptcy and divorce and what that looks like for people who are facing the prospect of both or maybe one or the other and the different phases of the process depending upon what um, their particular family situation looks like. So welcome, Alethea. We're so glad that you were able to carve out the time to join us today for this podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Alethea, take us through what a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 13 look like. So a Chapter 7 is a liquidation chapter. When someone's filing a Chapter 7, they're disclosing all of their assets and all of their liabilities to the bankruptcy court. At that point, you have to determine whether or not all of their assets are exempt. If some of them are not, then the trustee would potentially liquidate them. Use those funds to pay the creditors. Chapter 13, you're going to be paying part of your debts back based upon your disposable income. So that becomes a very complicated math problem where you're putting in your income, deductions, things like mortgage, um, car payments, and then there's a lot of things that are that are in there that are IRS standards depending upon where you live. So whatever your disposable income is is going to is going to be what drives your chapter 13 plan payment. The first question to ask at the outset is how much money does the client make? Okay, if they're over the median, they're going to be a Chapter 13. If they're under the median, they can possibly do a Chapter 7. What's the median, roughly? Um, in Massachusetts, for a household of one, it's 72, I think, 72,000. It changes every every so often. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've... Is that with kids or without? That's a household of one. So it depends on... You know, they'd have a whole chart. It's on the irs.gov website. Okay. And it will tell you every state and what the median is depending upon your household. So if you start from one, it being 72, and then a household of two, it goes up maybe around 70 to, I'm sorry, 90,000 maybe. I don't know them offhand because they change so much, but right. a household of one is 72. Okay. So these bankruptcies, I mean, we're focusing on a Chapter 7 and a Chapter 13. There's different chapters in the bankruptcy code, but yep. that's basically what you're doing for individuals and families. Yes. Cons- yeah. Typically, it's going to be a 7 or a 13. A Chapter 11 is for a, a large business reorganization. Don't really see that around here too often. Um, and then there's other chapters that apply to farmers and fishermen that I've never dealt with in this area, of course. So, Got it. So with a bankruptcy, we've got two primary objectives, leaving yep. sort of divorce outside of the purview for a moment. Mm-hmm. The purpose of a bankruptcy is to provide a debtor with a fresh start and to equally divide the debtor's non-exempt assets among the creditors, right? So when you're dealing with people who are just in over their heads with credit card debts, they've got medical bills, they've Mm -hmm. got student loans, Um, maybe they've got a car payment, 
um, that they really just can't afford. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the first thing that you look at when they come to you and they say, oh, by the way, things aren't going well with my husband or wife. Um, you know, I don't know if this is something that we should do together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we may be filing for divorce. What do we do? Well, it's going to depend on a, on a number of factors. I mean, sometimes it, it might be cleaner to file a bankruptcy first and then proceed with the divorce after, but it's going to depend on, I mean, you might not be able to get the people to hold off on filing a divorce. They might need to do it right away. They might not be able to live together. I don't know. The other thing that you would need to keep in mind is, is what is the income as a household while the parties are living together with all the kids in the house? You know, that's going to that's going to make the household income be able to be larger than it would be if some if the parties split up. So if somebody might might qualify to file a Chapter 7 if they're married, if they divorce and separate the two households, then there might be too much income in one house, household, which is going to make one need to file a 13. Mm-hmm. So you have to really get a good handle on how much each party makes, um, you know, on both, the husband, the wife, how much does he make, how much does she make, how much would it be if they split the households up? and determine from there what the best option is going to be. So it's not always a simple thing to figure out. Um, you really have to, there's a lot of like pre, pre-planning that has, to, that has to happen before you can tell somebody, mm-hmm. you know, what's going to be their best option. Mm. So I, I love to always, uh, you know, give my fair share of the war stories. Mm-hmm. And um, just to sort of quickly recap about that divorce case that I'm involved in yeah. right now with these people. So, you know, husband and wife um, own a house. The um, interest rate was high on the mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, the monthly payment just really more than they could afford. But they was they were hanging on for years. They couldn't afford to maintain the house, and yep. it just sort of fell into a complete state of disrepair. And they bought it together. They bought it together, yep. It's so, in both their names. Yep, the both their both, names, yep. yep. So <clears throat> wife, um, you know, earned more money than husband. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think she makes about 80000 a year, and the husband is lower um, wage earner, maybe thirty five a year. Okay? Yeah. So she meets a boyfriend, moves out of the marital home. She's mm-hmm. gone, leaving the husband behind. He hangs in there for about three or four months. She's helping him pay the mortgage, but eventually he abandons the house and mm-hmm. moves in with a girlfriend a couple town- towns away. Yeah. So now we have this house that's just abandoned sitting there that's continuing to fall apart. Eventually, they both stop paying the mortgage. Wife filed for divorce. Mm-hmm. So she lawyers up, husband lawyers up, okay? And then the conundrum in the divorce is what are we going to do with this house? Because no one has paid the mortgage. They are upside down, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, We can't sell it. You can't do a deed in lieu of foreclosure because the bank doesn't want it. It's not habitable. Yeah. Um, And they've got, like I said, the deficiency. They're going to owe taxes on the deficiency. Yeah. And um, they're they're in a squeeze. Now, you know, we had bounced back and forth the idea of doing maybe a joint bankruptcy for them as husband and wife. But we cannot because they are in the middle of a divorce. Right. I mean, that is just not doable. And then Mm -mm. we also entered the idea of all right well what if um 
you know, we dismissed the divorce, Mm -hmm. filed the bankruptcy, then resurrected the divorce. That's not going to work either because... No, they live in different places. They're living in different places with... with, different states, right? Right, with boyfriends and girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah, husband moved to Maine. So you really can't give the bankruptcy court a good faith representation that they're married when the reality is... Correct. They're honestly not. Yeah. You know, um, so then... It's just, it's turning into one conundrum after another. But the reality is, I think that the debt is marital. In all likelihood, it's going to end up being a 50-50 split. Yeah. And, um, you know, post-divorce, if we're ever able to get them through this, what would a bankruptcy look like for him and for her? It's going to depend on... It's really going to depend on how the separation agreement is written. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they're going to um, resolve the issue. Are they are they going to actually agree on that? Are they going to say, yes, it's 50-50, or we're both equally responsible for this debt? Mm-hmm. Do they have other debt? They had some unsecured credit card debt, nothing humongous, yep. maybe in the five or $10,000 range. Okay, so the only thing. significant yeah. issue is really the deficiency on the house. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's going to depend, again, on how the separation agreement is worded, um, where they're both living, who you know, what their household income is at the time, because potentially they could both, maybe they both file down the line to get rid of the deficiency. I don't know. But if one party makes a lot more than the other, right? then the party who makes more money and maybe is over the median might have to file a 13, where the other one might be able to do a Chapter 7 and get rid of it. Right. So that could be another hurdle for both of them again looking back to see how the separation agreement is worded we don't know who's going to take that liability right assuming they're both going to take it um you know it's not really going to be fair to one party if one gets to do a seven and the other one's paying it back so that's Mm -hmm. going to be something that you're going to need to talk each each attorney for the divorce clients are going to need to speak to their clients about to see what they'd be willing to do in a situation like that so hiring an attorney for your bankruptcy and divorce. If yep. if you and your ex both need to file for a bankruptcy and divorce, I mean, logistically mm-hmm. speaking, you might have to hire four separate lawyers, right? I mean, that can get really expensive quick. Yeah. Do you have any ideas or suggestions about how to avoid that? Well, if the it's going to depend on the parties, if they're communicating okay. Um, you know, they might want to go talk to a bankruptcy attorney together first and see if that might be able be an option for them. I mean, in the long term, if if it doesn't go that way and they both need a divorce attorney, they both need a bankruptcy attorney, it's going to be super expensive. That's why I would probably say if they if they can communicate, just try to work together on that to figure out what your plan is going to be so you can better determine which path is going to work and which path is going to give you problems. Before you spend all the money on all these hiring these different attorneys, you want to have a plan. Right. And you need to talk to somebody. I'd probably say talking to the bankruptcy attorney first makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. All right. When does it make sense to file a bankruptcy before you get divorced versus after? So filing a bankruptcy before you get divorced, if it's pretty straightforward, um, you have a lot of joint credit card debt together, you're able to hold off on the divorce potentially, you're both still living in the same house, which very often does happen with, with people who are contemplating divorce, it might be cleaner and simpler to file a Chapter 7 if they qualify. You're going to be in and out of it in a few months and then file divorce after you get discharged and the bankruptcy is closed out. So if it's a simple, relatively straightforward, not a lot of assets involved, like say the parties are married, 
Um, they've got $50,000 of joint credit card debt. They don't have any assets. They don't mm-hmm. have any um, any house to split, any retirements to split that you might be taking in a previously exempt asset and making it unexempt. Right. So that's not going to be a consideration. So in that particular, in those particular circumstances, it might be simpler just to file the bankruptcy first, get the client's discharge, and they can both go on their way and file for their divorce. So ev- that would even make their divorce simpler because the debt's already been cleaned up. Okay, they don't have to figure out who's going to take what, who's paying for which debts. Right. Okay? Okay. But when it's going to be more dicey is when there's a lot of assets to divide because you have to be very careful about um, about who's going to get what because if you have somebody in the be- at the beginning who they have a house together and then you're going to transfer the house to you know, one of the spouses and the other spouse is buying him out, you might be taking the asset, which would be the house, and converting it into something liquid, cash, if there's a buyout. Okay. That could give the other party an issue in a bankruptcy. So you really... An issue how? An issue because if they're filing the bankruptcy, then they would have that lump of cash maybe sitting in a bank account or it being, you know, the transfer is pending upon the refinance of the house. Mm-hmm. So it's now cash that you can't exempt when previously in a bankruptcy if they filed together that house is both of theirs you're exempting it okay when you say exempt what does that mean exactly it means that there's different categories of property and whenever you file for a bankruptcy whether it's a 7 or a 13 you have to disclose what your assets are to the bankruptcy court and put a value on them a reasonable value based Mm -hmm. upon the market and you get different exemptions, um, whether they're federal exemptions or they're state exemptions, and you're gonna. That's another thing that you'd have to talk to a bankruptcy attorney about is um, to decide which is more beneficial for your case. If the if property is exempt, for example, in Massachusetts, if you have a homestead, you can claim up to five hundred thousand dollars on your house. Mm. So if your house is worth um, five hundred thousand dollars and there's no mortgage on it. You can mm-hmm. exempt the house entirely. So that means the bankruptcy trustee can't come in, move to sell the house to get that money to pay your creditors because it's 100% exempt. But if you're in a divorce, that same house that that you own together, if one party is buying the other out and they're going to get a lot of cash for it, say 100000 for a buyout, just say, that's going to be sitting in a bank account and you can't exempt it all. You could probably exempt a couple thousand dollars, maybe, depending mm-hmm. on what exemption scheme you use. So if you have property hanging out there, unexempt, the trustee is going to try to grab it and use the money to pay the creditors. Got it. Okay? Okay. Um, interesting. Interesting stuff. Yeah. For sure. So you have to be really careful about property division when you're contemplating divorce and bankruptcy because something that may have been previously protected, say say a 401k even, mm-hmm. one party has a 401k and then they're going to transfer half of it to the other party. Depending on how the other party takes that, maybe they take that and roll it into something. Okay, that's fine. That might be protected. But if they just take it, you know, as cash because they want to put it down on a house, they're going to have an issue in bankruptcy because that's no longer, it doesn't have that exempt status any longer. Right. Okay. Um, so debts from the divorce, I mean, mm-hmm. assuming you get through um, the bankruptcy process, will all of the debt divorce go away when I file bankruptcy? So let's talk about what is dischargeable and what is not. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say I'm low to median income and yep. I qualify for Chapter 7. What can I get rid of? 
you can get rid of your credit cards. You can get rid of all credit card debt, anything in collections, any lower court um, lower court actions, default judgments, utility bills, uh, phone bills, medical bills. So, so if like Capital One sued me in yeah. small claims court for a credit card or something, um, and they went to judgment. Yep. Um, and let's say they recorded the judgment or they were bringing me into court, chasing mm-hmm. me down to that. That's going to go away. That's going to go away. If they put a lien on your house, there's another step involved, but you could still potentially get that to go away in the bankruptcy. So you have to make uh. sure that you bring that information to your bankruptcy attorney. Okay. Uh, but yeah, you can get rid of those debts. Um, if it's just a judgment, it's going to go away. But if it's if it's a judgment and they put a lien on a house, then there's another step. You'd have to remove the lien through the bankruptcy court. Okay. okay. So would that be a secured if it's... It's secured, but okay. it's a lien that would impair an exemption that okay. you're entitled to take. So it's a separate motion that you'd be filing with the bankruptcy court to remove it. Okay. Okay. So um, what's the difference between um, a secured debt and an unsecured debt when I'm looking at it's, seven? It's pretty simple, really. A secured debt is secured by something like property. So a secured debt's going to be a mortgage because it's secured by the house. Uh, a car loan, secured by the vehicle. Some creditors try to be aggressive about it and say that it's secured sometimes when it's not. Like if somebody buys furniture from Jordan's Furniture, um, the creditors will very often send out something saying, you know, hey, are they going to reaffirm this? Because if they don't, we're going to come and get the furniture. And they really don't mm-hmm. do that. They're mm-hmm. just going to kind of threaten it because they want you to keep on paying the debt. So it's uh, secure debts are going to be typically your mortgage, your car loans. Um, and unsecured is just regular, straightforward credit card debt. Okay. okay. Interesting. You know, I saw something in the news. I, and maybe I sent you the article. Do you remember if I did? It was like a couple of months ago. There was a law in Massachusetts. These um, They're selling like those pet shop dogs, like those... Um, those pedigree dogs that you'd buy at like a pet shop or um, some of these places, and yep. they were doing those secured loans to finance the, dog. the dogs. Oh, really? Right? Yeah. So it was like twelve hundred dollars, yeah. fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars, and so you'd make the monthly payments, but there was a secured interest by the financing company in the dog. And <laughs> I, I thought I had sent you that article. It was like kind of an I don't interesting. Remember that one? <laughs> yeah, I think the attorney general declared it as. Um, unlawful or illegal to have a secured interest because I don't know you default I mean not that anyone I can't see a bank coming to take a dog to take a dog I I can't either you know but that's um, a new one doing it you know I mean pretty surprising yeah that is actually so what if I have a car Mm -hmm. right and I'm married Mm -hmm. and my marriage is terrible yeah right I cannot stand this man Mm -hmm. I like the car that he helped me buy okay and I want to be able to keep it we're both sort of struggling with our debt. Yeah. Um, divorce is a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can't really stand me either, but we sort of need each other. We're so financially intermingled. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we filed a joint bankruptcy, yeah. um, you know, what are the chances that I could keep the car? If you're banking the payments on the car, the car is current, you're mm-hmm. going to be able to keep the car. I mean, there's no reason why you can't. So maybe if you're not paying, if you get rid of the credit card debt because you file a joint bankruptcy, okay, maybe that frees you up so you're able to keep the car. But you have to be able to afford the car. Okay, so you know, file a bankruptcy just because you have you owe that debt and you're listing that in your bankruptcy doesn't mean that you have to surrender the car. If you want to, you can, but you can keep on paying the car 
and keep it. You just have to be current on it. You can't stop paying the car as well. So, like, with, but you have to do, like, a sort of a household budget, right? Yes. Or a bankruptcy. Yep. And if the trustee sees that I have this Cadillac that my husband is more or less paying for, yep. it's like, you know. And you're filing it together. Right. Yep. I mean, is that going to be an issue? I mean, how long ago did you get it? Did Is it, you know. Let's say we got it six months ago. I mean, you got it six months ago, and then the car payment's $1,000. I mean, it's going to draw a little bit of attention. But if it's something, if it's a car loan that you've been in for for a couple years, mm-hmm. more often than not, it's just going to be like, okay, this is what they need. But a lot of people, a lot of people who file bankruptcy look at that and they actually kind of do this smart thing. They let go of their personal attachment to the car mm-hmm. and they say, let me get something more affordable. So they might surrender the expensive car through mm-hmm. the bankruptcy and then get something else after or before the fact Does that's that- more affordable. So so if you surrender a car you really can't afford, yeah. I mean, bankruptcy is going to hurt your credit. But does that hurt your credit? Is it sort of adding insult to injury in terms of... Not really. If you're filing a bankruptcy, um, you're going to your credit's going to take a hit or it's already taken a hit. So you might, when you're getting another car loan, you might get a higher interest rate. But that's going to happen either way. If you miss car payments mm-hmm. or if you, you know, you're defaulting constantly, you're, you're running late constantly, or you file a bankruptcy, either way, it's going to hurt your credit. Okay. So I don't really know that one is worse than the other, but the point is when you're when you need to, you know, look at your budget a little bit closer, figure out does it make sense to keep this car just because I like it? You know, you don't want to have this ridiculous car payment and you're foregoing other things that you need to make a car payment like that. Mm-hmm. So you look down the line and say, okay, what can I afford? Maybe three or four hundred dollars, not a thousand dollars, and then you'd surrender that car and get another car before you file the bankruptcy, or even after. You're going to have a high interest rate, but that's that's what's going to happen either way because your credit's already damaged. Okay. How long does it take to rebuild credit after a bankruptcy? Um, it's kind of... I would say it, it really depends um, on what you're doing post-bankruptcy. So maybe if you take a secured credit card um, and use it carefully and you know pay it off on time and all that, you'll start to rebuild your credit. It's really not as damaging as a lot of people think that it is because I think that, this is just my opinion, I think that the market is so saturated with, you know, credit that they're much more willing to extend credit to people than they were before who have poor credit scores, but Mm. they'll just give you a higher interest rate. So, I mean, I know clients who have filed bankruptcy and they get credit card offers pretty quickly after they're discharged. They're not going to be the best offers. They're not going to be 0% interest with, you know, a $10,000 limit but they will get credit offers fairly quickly. In terms of um, getting a car loan, I mean, you, I think you're always going to get a car loan because it's secured. Right. So they know they can come back and make a lot of you know, money off of you mm-hmm. and interest and then come back and get the car right. if you don't pay it. But um, maybe I would say that you're going to see a bigger increase in your credit score after probably a, two years is, is kind of like the threshold window. What about if I have to separate from my husband mm-hmm. and I have to get an apartment? I need first, last, and a security. And a lot of these landlords look at credit scores. They do. Right? They do. I mean, and it should can be I an issue. file before, after? I mean, what's sort of like the best course of action with that? Well, if you file if you file before, there's the argument that your, your slate is clean and you don't really owe the debt, so clearly you can afford to pay your rent. Whereas if you're tied to all this debt that you're trying to scramble together to pay monthly, you don't have those that extra money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, they can deny you based upon your, well, 
they're not supposed to deny you based right. upon a bankruptcy filing, but they can find another reason to do so. Right. So all I can tell people in that that situation is it's going to be, you know, a lot of landlords are going to kind of go with their personal gut. And if they think it's a good risk, they might take it. But right. if you're applying to a complex, that might be where you run into an issue if you can't get a co-signer. Mm-hmm. But if you're kind of going for the private landlord who has a house, you have a better chance, I would say. Enjoying this episode of the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast? Be prepared to face the tough questions about debt and divorce by downloading our complimentary e-guide, Five Secrets You Need to Know About Divorce and Bankruptcy for more helpful information. Click the link in the show notes or go to rightfamilylawgroup.com forward slash guides. That's rightfamilylawgroup.com forward slash guides and grab your free copy today. So we know that domestic support obligations like child support, alimony, obligations to pay future educational expenses for children, as well as obligations to pay future health care costs for kids, obligations to make monthly payments um, on a mortgage or in lieu of a car payment, um, can be considered um, domestic support obligations and are not dischargeable. But the bankruptcy court looks at a number of criteria in the bankruptcy code to determine the nature of support and whether it falls into any of these categories. So reading from Section 523A5, um, the court looks at these factors to determine the nature of the support. One, actual substance in the language of the party's agreement. Two, the financial situation of the parties at the time of the agreement. Three, the function served by the obligation at the time of the agreement. Four, and whether there is any evidence of overbearing at the time of the agreement that should cause the bankruptcy court to question the intent of a spouse. The courts are always going to consider the additional following factors. The party's employment history and the prospect for financial support, whether one party received marital property, the number and frequency of payments, whether it would be difficult for the former spouse and children to survive without the payments, the length of the marriage, the economic disparity of the parties, whether the spouse who brings the complaint challenging the language is caring for the minor children, the age, employability, education levels of the parties, the label in the decree of the agreement, whether the obligation terminates upon the obligee's death, remarriage, or emancipation of the children, whether there is a waiver of alimony or support in the marital settlement agreement, the availability of state court remedies to modify or enforce the obligation, and last but not least, the tax treatment of the obligation. So child support in a bankruptcy can still be modified by the family and probate court if the obligated party can show a material change in circumstances. And it's not unlikely that a party might use the bankruptcy itself um, or the circumstances that gave rise to the bankruptcy as their material change in circumstances. I think that's a key point. I'm the non-debtor spouse. Yep. And the my debtor ex filed a Chapter 13. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that the bankruptcy trustee can do to screw me? Well... In terms of a repayment plan, if he owes me back child support or back alimony? Well, you're going to... No. Um, if he owes you back child support, then 
that's going to be listed in the chapter 13 plan, how is it going to be addressed? You know, how is he going to catch it up? Is he going to, um, the trustees has no interest in screwing you. They need to get, they need to look at the plan and see if it's a confirmable plan, if it's in the best interest of all the creditors, which would include the recipient of the child support. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, the debtor's behind in child support, he's going to have addressed that in his Chapter 13 plan and propose a repayment. Right. So he's got to stay current on it and also make the payment secure the arrears. So should I file a proof of claim? Yes. And uh, how do I do that? Do we need a lawyer to do that? You don't. You don't. You can. The forms are online. Okay. Uh, with the bankruptcy court, and mm-hmm. it's pretty straightforward. It's kind of fill in, fill in the blank. But yeah, you're going to get noticed. You should be listed as a creditor in the bankruptcy, so you would get notice from the bankruptcy court that you can file a proof of claim. What if I don't do that on time? Uh, if you don't do it on time, it could be excluded. But then that comes back to the question of it being child support, and I don't think the court would exclude it at all. So that's kind of a tricky okay. situation, but I would file one just to be safe. I don't... Uh, the debtor's not going to get out of child support because one party didn't file a proof of claim, mm-hmm. but it is just going to add a little bit more confusion to the case. Mm. Okay. And the trustee is the one who oversees all of that? The trustee oversees the case. Uh, their job is to make sure that the Chapter 13 plan meets the best interest of the creditor's test, so all the creditors in the bankruptcy should be getting... Uh, should be getting payment based upon what the debtor's disposable income is yeah. and in the order of their status, whether it be secured, priority, unsecured. Okay. okay. All right. So what's the difference between a bankruptcy trustee and a bankruptcy judge? The bankruptcy trustee is an attorney who's, a, who's appointed to administer the case. So the trustee is just making sure that, whether it's in a 7 or a 13, is just making sure that um, all assets are accounted for, that the creditors get their fair share if there's anything to be either liquidated or, you know, redeemed or surrendered in a bankruptcy. They, they have to determine whether or not the creditors are going to get anything back. Um, they also have to determine whether or not the plan, in a Chapter 13, whether or not the plan meets the best interest of the creditors. Mm. So the bankruptcy judge, they're going to come in to play if there's some issue that has to be decided that the parties can't agree on. So the trustee could file something, you know, to claw something back in a Chapter 7. Mm. And if they can't reach any kind of an agreement, then they're going to be going before a bankruptcy judge. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are situations, though, um, and I've seen this a couple of times, where um, an ex-spouse will file a bankruptcy after the mm-hmm. divorce, right? And yep. when he gets rid of a lot of the unsecured debt child support payments aren't as hard to come by and the child support is actually paid on time. I had one case where the guy was mm-hmm. perpetually in arrears, right? Yeah. Because he just couldn't get, um, he couldn't get his head above water. Yep. Um, yep. But once he got his discharge in bankruptcy and a lot of these credit cards and other bills went away, mm-hmm. um, he was actually able to get current with his payments. I mean, in a lot of situations, this is huge, right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because if somebody's, you know, strapped down trying to pay off all this credit card debt and they just can't do it, they don't have enough to live, it's going to affect every area of their life. So the things that they need to pay, their rent, their mortgage, their child support, their food, their utilities... If you're getting rid of all that unsecured debt that's holding you down, it's going to make your life a lot easier. 
So in a lot of cases, it's a better, it's a good option for a lot of people. What do you say to um, a lot of the people who are just embarrassed, right? Their marriage is falling apart. Their finances are fi- falling apart. Maybe it's embarrassing to file for divorce. I mm-hmm. mean, that's embarrassing enough maybe, right? Mm-hmm. But you file for a bankruptcy and that's just, you know, they've always, you know, been raised to pay their bills and do yeah. the right thing. And I mean, what do you think about the embarrassment and the shame? Is I mean, I guess I understand it, but in the long run, it just doesn't make any sense to me because there's no need for somebody to live that stressed out every single day Mm -hmm. when there's a mechanism that's going to relieve you of that burden. Mm -hmm. It's there for a reason. Um, Businesses file all the time. You know, people with wealthy people file a lot, you know, just a different kind of bankruptcy, a chapter 11. So you have to think about it in terms of if if you're saddled by all this debt, and you're embarrassed to file, you're not really contributing to the economy mm-hmm. because you can't. Right. So that's kind of the reason, the theory behind the bankruptcy, if you kind of hit the reset button, start over, then you're going to be contributing to the economy again, right. which boosts the economy, which has a better effect for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at it in more big picture terms than your personal um, problems with it regarding morality and if it's right or wrong. Right. Okay. And a lot of people, their financial hardship isn't their fault, right? Yeah. I mean, More often than not, reasons for a bankruptcy are going to be a medical issue, a divorce. Um, you know, it's usually like an event in someone's life that changes kind of the course of their life for a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. It's I, not just, it's not what people think. It's not, you know, people, oh, I'm just going to rack up my credit cards and then file a bankruptcy. <laughs> like, that's really not how it works. I'm sure there's cases where it's happened that way. Right. But it's not the norm. It's kind of the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. I always um, think about Abraham Lincoln, right? He Mm -hmm. filed bankruptcy, I think, two or three times before he became president. He had some failed businesses Mm -hmm. and had a bad partnership. A lot of people filed bankruptcy. A lot of failure, yeah. I mean, if Abraham Lincoln can do it, right? (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, I think that... um, it's it's fine for the common man. It's like you say, it's there for a reason, right? It it's is. helped it's to help people get the fresh start that they need. It's to keep the economy turning too. It's not right. I mean, it's it's bigger picture than just individuals. It's it's for the economy, right? As a few final closing thoughts about this whole topic, um, yep. people's chances of surviving divorce and bankruptcy, no matter what, are going to be much better if they're able to communicate. I mean, communication. Definitely is huge. Divorces are almost, well, I don't want to say almost always, but are frequently tinged with bitterness. Um, and if you've got financial catastrophe sort yeah. of on the horizon, that isn't going to help people get along any better. I mean, that's just right. a reality, yeah. right? But if you've got people who can communicate, or maybe they can't communicate, but maybe their attorneys can sort of bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to go a long way in terms of resolving um, their legal and their financial issues, either yeah. in or out of family or bankruptcy court. I mean, what do you think about that? It would if if a divorce, a potentially divorcing couple, has a lot of debt issues. It really would be beneficial to them if they can at least communicate about that piece of it mm-hmm. to kind of work together to get a plan going. Because if they don't, they're going to run into hurdles like that couple that you talked about earlier Mm. with the house. And now they're kind of stuck with this debt and don't really know where to go with it. Um, So the more that they can communicate, I think the better off they'd be because then they can explain 
those issues to their divorce attorney, to mm-hmm. a bankruptcy attorney, and kind of set out a plan that's going to benefit them both right. in the long run. Yeah. I mean, these people, I mean, they had no plan. Yeah. You know, you know they had no plan, yeah. and they were not communicating. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, filing divorce and bankruptcy at the same time is never the clean way to go. Um, so I think, no. you know, you want to avoid that at all costs. Um, and good communication really is the best way to go about that. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, that concludes our episode on divorce and bankruptcy. Thank you so much, Alethea, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Remember, the Right Family Law Divorce Podcast is not legal, financial, or tax advice, nor should it be construed as such. We recommend that you consult a qualified legal or tax professional before making any decisions about any of the topics discussed in our broadcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe. To catch all the latest from the Wright Family Law Group, sign up for our email list and newsletter on our website at rightfamilylawgroup.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.